Yeah, I mean, we have some experience from it, like you said, from last year. A lot of the guys, returning guys, understand how it goes. And, you know, we can't control that kind of thing. We just got to come to the ballpark every day. And whoever's healthy and available is, you know, we're going to put the work in and, and do what we can to help this team win and, and go from there. You can't – you hate to see a lot of the guys starting to go down like that. But, um, like I said, we're just trying to do our best to, to get some wins out there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. Now also a weekly segment on Slam Radio's Miami Herald Sports Hour on Sirius XM. Live from Milwaukee as the Marlins play a three-game series with the Brewers, I'm Jordan McPherson. I'm flying solo this week, but there is still a lot to talk about with this team as they get to the halfway point of this three-city, ten-game road trip. Um, and for the episode, we're going to split it into five topics, provide some perspective on each, and hear from Marlins players and from manager Don Mattingly for the team's perspective on some of the bigger topics around the team as we get a little bit past the 20-game mark of the season. And John Birdie's quote at the top of the episode provides a nice starting-off point. As the Marlins roster, it's been hit hard by injuries over the last week or so. We talked extensively in last week's episode about Starling Marte, team star center fielder who's out with a fractured rib. He's still experiencing some discomfort on his left side, and the team isn't letting him do anything until he's able to get back, until he's able to get back and be able to be pain-free for that. So there's no real timetable on him yet, but the Marlins also have other injuries that they have to deal with. Uh, Catcher Jorge Alfaro is out with a hamstring strain. Brian Anderson, right at the start of the road trip, was put on the IL with a left oblique strain that he suffered towards the tail end of the last homestand. Uh, Alfaro, is prog- er, Alfaro, there's no update on him yet, but Brian Anderson is progressing. He's done some light baseball activities, and there is some slight optimism that he might return at the end of this trip when, he's, when his 10 days on the IL are up when the Marlins play the Washington Nationals in D.C. to close out this trip. But even at that point, the Marlins are without three key position players in the short term. Uh, I mean, Brian Anderson, over the last two years, the short and 60-game season and the first 15 games of this year, he was their starting third baseman in all but six games. And Jorge Alfaro, yes, he's not as established as Starling Marte or Brian Anderson, but he knows and the Marlins know just how critical of a year this is for him as they try to evaluate whether or not he's going to be the catcher of the future or if they're going to end up having to move in a different direction once the offseason once the offseason hits. In the meantime, the Marlins are getting some pretty good contributions from who they have. John Birdie, he started every game at third base so far, and he's held his own both offensively and defensively. Uh, if you look at some of the advanced analytics from StatCast, John Birdie's in the 88th percentile among third basemen for outs above average. And he's already been credited with two defensive run saves by fan graphs. And he's also made, I believe the number is 85.7% of the plays around third base that a typical third baseman should make. According to fan graphs, that's the highest efficiency rate among third basemen who have played at least 50 innings this year. Elsewhere around the diamond, you've had Sandy Leon, who's been splitting reps to catch with Chad Wallach. Adam Duvall has become the new name to know in center field. The Marlins started, or Don Mattingly started him in Sunday series finale against the Giants out there to have him and Garrett Cooper and Jesus Aguilar all in the lineup together. Uh, 
Magnery Sierra and Lewis Brinson are also stepping up there, getting some spot starts in there. But with the Marlins trying to maximize as much offense as possible, putting Duvall in center field is probably the best route for this scenario, especially since Duvall's been playing really, really well in the outfield this year. I mean, he's already has four, three outfield assists. He's tied for the MLB lead among outfielders with six defensive runs saved. If he can hold down that spot until Marte comes back, it will really allow the Marlins to keep their lineup as lengthy as possible while they're trying to figure out how to, how to replicate the production that they lost from Starling Marte. With that, here's Marlins manager Don Mattingly breaking down his thought process for handling center field, as well as Adam Duvall's on his comfortability playing the position, which until Sunday he played one inning of in his MLB career. No, he looked fine. Um, as well as he runs and the way he looked in right, we felt like he could handle it. Um, give us a chance to get, you know, him and Coop and, and Aggie in the lineup together. Um, yeah, I thought I thought he was I thought he was okay out there. So I mean not a lot of reps, uh, but, you know, I've shagged out there and, and during BP and stuff. So, um, you know, it's a little different than right and left. Uh, but, uh, you know, my goal was just to go and get the ball wherever it was. So, uh, yeah, it was fun. And now as we transition from the state of the position players to the state of the rotation – the Marlins have been getting incredible production from their top three guys who have been in this in this rotation since day one in Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, and Trevor Richards. Heading into the Milwaukee series, the three have combined for a 2.72 ERA, 95 strikeouts, and just 29 walks in 79 in the third innings. And Rodgers is really starting to cement himself as an early dark horse to be in the NL Rookie of the Year conversation if he's, if he's able to heal up the performance that he's, that he's had to this point. As for the rest of the rotation, it's still a work in progress. There's no other way to say it. Uh, just as the reminder of where things are in the injury front, Eliezer Hernandez, Sixto Sanchez, Edward Cabrera, and George Guzman are all in the IL with various throwing arm injuries which has left the Marlins' pool of starting pitching depth that was supposed to be their strength surprisingly thin this early in the season. Uh, Eliezer Hernandez is scheduled to throw bullpen sessions starting this week, which makes him the first of the four to be throwing on the mound. And it makes him the closest to returning, even though it's still going to be a few weeks and he needs to build up his innings. Until then, the Marlins have gotten a couple pretty decent starts out of Daniel Castano so far. 3.6 ERA, 10 innings total. But their options as they try to find that fifth guy have yet to pan out. Uh, Nick Knighter in three starts has 6.75 ERA, and they ended up optioning him to try to get some other guys in. Rule 5 pick Paul Campbell, who technically hasn't officially started a game, but has been used twice out of the bullpen as a length guy. He has an 8.22 ERA. Now, the Marlins could potentially get through this road trip without needing a fifth starter. There is an off day on Thursday in between their series between with the Brewers and the Nationals, which would allow them to 
go with just the four guys who they have with everyone going on full rest. But the Marlins have been proactive with trying to make sure that pitchers innings limits, I mean, not necessarily innings limits, but they're, they're watching their, their, their innings early. Uh, here's Marlins manager Don Mattingly to explain just their thought process between how they're trying to maximize the few off days that they have now that we're getting into the bulk of the season. Yeah, you know, we, we've obviously this year with all the innings restrictions or not, I shouldn't say restrictions, but kind of having plans to keep starters innings down. Uh, you know, you always want to use those off days to give guys rest uh, and, to, and to spread this thing out. So we'll see. It's, it's something we'll talk about. Obviously, the injuries in our rotation have put us in a little bit of a bind where, you know, the – you know, that day is a is kind of like a day that you have a chance to wreck your bullpen. Uh, so, you know, it's something we talk about, but, you know, obviously both sides of that thing with, uh, you know, kind of trying to keep the innings down. And with the rest of this road trip, the Marlins' options for that fifth starter are pretty limited based off who they have on the active roster and on the taxi squad. Uh, they're – Main choice would probably be to find a way to add Niter back to the active roster, but they can only do that if they place someone on the injured list. Remember, at, since he was optioned, he has to stay down for 15 days unless there's a corresponding IL move to put him back on the active roster. They can also give Paul Campbell another opportunity to throw multiple innings, whether it's as a starter or as the bulk guy out of the, out of the bullpen following an opener, similar to what they did on Sunday. I mean... Paul Campbell's first inning in San Francisco was rough. 40-some-odd pitches, gave up three runs. But he retired eight of the final ten. He struck out five. He looked a lot more confident the second and third time out. Weather probably played the factor in that first inning. The field was muddy. It was rough. But, again, he still needs to find a way to go out there and produce. And there is definitely a chance that he could get at least one more start before they go back home. Uh, their other two options, uh, they have Sean Morimondo, who's on the on a minor league deal with the club, and he's with the team on the taxi squad. That would require a 40-man move of some sort to get him onto the active roster, plus an active roster move. Or they could find a way, if they really wanted to, Jordan Holloway, who they the club is still viewing as a starter and making sure that he's ready to throw multiple innings. They could unleash him and let, and see what he does as a spot starter. Again, there's a lot of moving parts here. There are a lot of different ways they can do this. But the Marlins are trying to find ways to make sure that they can keep inning limits, keep innings pitched down early in the season to make sure that guys are ready when ready and available when August and September and with the Marlins' ultimate hope, October rolls around. Uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break. And then once we come back, we will dive into a couple of player-specific topics that are at the forefront on the beat. Welcome back, everyone. All right, time for the second half of the show. And we're going to lead off this part of the episode with the Marlins' leadoff hitter, Jazz Chisholm Jr. I mean, it seemed only fitting that Mattingly would finally give Jazz a chance to move up to the top spot of the order. He has that right combination of speed and power at the plate. He's looked really good with his at-bats when he was in the six-hole and with Starling Marte's injury, 
the Marlins needed a spark at the top of the lineup. And from the personality to the production that he's had, Jazz epitomized that role. And he's shown his potential early. The first three games that he was in the leadoff spot, he got a hit in the first inning. And that included a home run on Friday when he nearly got a ball into McCovey Cove at Oracle Park. And he looks good. He has that composure. But he also has shown us as of late that he is still a rookie and that cold streaks are going to be a thing. After that home run on Friday, Chisholm closed out the series with San Francisco going 0 for 13 with six strikeouts. Is there a reason for concern? Not necessarily, at least not yet. Uh, everyone's going to go through streaks during the season. That's part of baseball. That's part of playing over six months in 162 games. And when you take a quick look at his advanced metrics, he's still among the top in baseball when it comes to barrel rate, to sprint speed, to expected slugging. His average exit velocity is still in the top quarter of, ba- of MLB hitters. Now, if the slump lingers... Yes, they're going to need to address something with him. But Jazz is confident. Don Mattingly is confident. And they both know that the rookie second baseman has the tools and has the potential to make a run and continue to build off the strong start that he had to the season. With that, here is Jazz Chisholm from Friday after he hit his home run about his approach as the leadoff hitter and how he changes his mentality, if anything, and then also Don Mattingly about just the ebbs and flows that are going to happen with Jazz and what they're looking for from him. Uh, I mean, I feel really comfortable in any spot in the lineup. You know, hitting is hitting, so I just feel like I'm going to just go out there and go, go and hit, so I feel comfortable in any spot. Uh, before I became the leadoff hitter, Miggy told me one day, he's like, one day you might be leading off, and I just don't want you to change. Go up there and still be you. So that's what I'm doing every time I step in the box is going up there and being me. I mean, it's it's kind of hard, you know. Those are really good bats that we had in our lineup. And now that they're out for about 10 days, I mean, it's going to be hard for us. But at the same time, that's what we always prepare for. We always prepared for, like, telling our guys from spring training, we're going to need everybody that's in spring training, everybody that was out there that we're going to need them all through this whole year, you know? And that's why I feel like our guys have been getting prepared and getting ready to come and pick up in those spots. You know, we're always guys that look, we're always a team that's looking for guys like to like the other day, I think it was, I don't, it wasn't here. It was the series before uh, I struck out with runner on third base and Miggy and Miggy uh, as well. He came up and he and he walked and Aggie and Aggie hit a line drive into the left center field gap that scored the run. And I was telling it, I was like, thanks for picking me up. You know, what I mean, like we got guys behind us that pick us up and that's the type of team that we are. It's going to be part of the progression for Jazz. You know, and I know last week we had him in the Hall of Fame already and uh, he was ready to roll and this and that. And I kind of warned you that there's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be adjustments making, you know, when a guy's hitting, teams are going to go to work. And then they're going to start finding spots that they're getting him out. And then you're going to see other teams just pour the ball at those zones. And so he, he's, they're starting, you can start to see some patterns with how they're pitching him. Um, he's going to have to make adjustments to that and either lay off 
make adjustments to him. Um, but that's this is going to be the game. And it it kind of goes on really your whole career. But Jazz is very, very early in his. And he's just going to have to make some adjustments to what they're trying to do to him now. And even though they're trying to do certain things and think they get the ball to certain spots and get him out, they're still going to make mistakes, just as we talked about the other guy. Even though they're trying to go to a certain area, they still miss his areas. So he's still got to, you know, continue to play the game, understand what he's doing right, what he's doing wrong, uh, and just keep growing, keep getting better. Another bright spot from the Marlins last series offensively was the power surge that first baseman Jesus Aguilar was finally able to bring. He hit three home runs in each of three total home runs in the final three games at Oracle Park after going 17 games, uh, the first 17 games of the season without a long ball. And just because it's everyone's going to be asking, Jesus Aguilar, what was your secret to finally getting that power back? After 60 of that with no homer, I done with that, man. I, I, I come back with that airbus and all that kind of stuff from Venezuela. <laughs> okay, let me explain that a little bit. Uh, back in spring training, Jesus Aguilar was talking about how he changed up his diet in the offseason because he simply he wanted to be in better shape. He was eating a lot more fish, a lot more fruit, a lot more salad, and arugula was the main main source of veggie that he was that he brought up when we talked about him when we were talking with him about his diet and in return he also gave up his beloved arepas he gave up rice he was trying to do whatever he could to just have that healthy living for the off season to make sure he was ready to go with spring training ready to go for the season and he lost about eight pounds as a result he came into camp at 277 pounds he was about between 285 and 290 when camp started last season and the slightly slender Aguilar, he, while that was a priority, he also realized that he needs to be a power hitter for this team. He has that mix of power and discipline at the plate. We see how he's able to draw walks and he rarely strikes out. And he knows that he needs to be a catalyst in the third or fourth spot in the lineup whenever he's out there every day. I mean, he has 71 home runs over the last four years heading into 2021. That included a career-best 35 during his All-Star season in 2018 with the Milwaukee Brewers. But after going those 17 games without hitting a ball out of the park, he knew that change needed to be that change needed to be made. Hence, the Arepa power is back. Is it a coincidence? Probably. But you know what? Aguilar will take the results any way he can get them. And the Marlins will definitely take the results as well. And you know what? I'll just let Mattingly and Aggie explain the rest here about what they're seeing from Aguilar as he finally rounds back into form. I mean, there's times when you, you may say something small, um, you know, uh, and more the encouragement than anything else. Um, but, you know, Aggie, guys that can hit know they're going to hit. And so it's like that's the difference in guys that kind of get hot and then they cool off and they're like, I don't know if I'll ever hit again. Guys that can hit, they don't panic. They know they're going to hit. So, uh, I, and I know, you know, where he's at with that, but I also know that he wants to feel right and he wants to feel good. So that you do get frustrated in those times, those little stretches when you're not swinging the back good. But he was just working on like trying to keep his direction good. 
and you could see some of the little drills he was doing he was trying to keep from turning in and he was he was losing that ball in and i think once he gets that gets that he got that straightened out he's going to see the ball so much better so uh yeah i just try to don't be like over aggressive the home play um it's been hard for especially for me i supposed to be a home hitter um but the things started happening like how supposed to happen before. Um, just the most important thing was we win tonight. Um, we just gotta keep going. You know, it's, it's, it was a really good game. Both started was doing an excellent job, but in the end of the day, we gotta win. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do adjustment every about. Um, um, of course, of course, uh, when the thing don't happen how you want, you gotta figure it out. The last, the last couple, the last couple nights, I'm, I'm been doing uh, adjustment. Um, I just try to don't do that extra move. Um, I get, a, I get a success. You know, I gotta keep doing those things. Um, I think we're gonna be alright. And finally, we're going to wrap things up with a look at the division at this point. Even with a 9-12 record, the Marlins entered this week tied with the Atlanta Braves for third in the NL East. And they're only two games behind the, Met, the first place Mets, who coincidentally are the only team with a winning record at one game over 500. The Marlins also, interestingly enough, entered the week as the only team in the NL East with a positive run differential. Miami, as of Sunday said of games, were outscoring opponents 85 to 84 through their first 21 games. Everyone else in the division has been outscored by anywhere from 11 to 24 runs. And we've said it from the start that the NL East was going to be extremely competitive. Everyone was going to beat up on themselves, on beat up on each other. And that's really starting to show through the first 20 some odd games of the season. Uh, Marlins general manager Kim Ang last week mentioned this very topic and said that things are going to be a lot closer than we thought, and it's looking that way as of this point. You know, that, that's where, um, you know, I, I've differed from a few people uh, in terms of their, their evaluation. So, number one, I do agree that I think this is the best division in baseball. But I'm not sure that, you know, there is going to be a clear, um, you know, clear runaway winner of this thing. I think that the, the quality of the entire division from top to bottom is very good. And, you know, I think that means that we're all going to beat up on each other all year long. And with that, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fish Bites. We'll be back again next week with a minor league heavy episode to commemorate the return of minor league baseball. Uh, in the meantime, you can get all of our coverage online at MiamiHerald.com, including our new Marlins Report weekly video segment. Before we go, we'll close out the show with highlights from General Manager Kim Ang's press conference last week, including her thoughts on the team starts of the season, where she sees the offense, the evolution of analytics, and her anticipation for the minor league season to get underway. And um, I was just curious, do you think any of these early injuries have anything to do with maybe the shortened season last year? Or do you think there's not really a relation at all? You know, hard to say at this point, um, you know, from what we saw, you know, guys came into spring training in good shape, um, you know, and, and we were one of the clubs that was not quite as affected as others were with injuries during the spring. I mean, we had little bumps and bruises, obviously, 
um, but we were not, you know, devastated. Um, you know, obviously now, you know, we've got a few guys on the DL and so it's of concern, uh, but, you know, not sure that we can, you know, completely attribute this to not playing last year, not playing a full season. Let's go to Jordan. Good afternoon, Kim. I've got two questions. First, to go back off of the Alfaro catcher situation, having a guy like Sandy Leon, who you guys were able to get on a minor league deal, just the benefit of being able to have him and to be able to come up to pair with Wallet behind the play while Alfaro's out. Right. For us, I think this is a huge ad. Um, you know, you don't find, you know, particularly in this, in this, uh, for this position, you don't necessarily find catchers of Sandy's caliber. Um, left out there when we did. So, you know, to add a player like Sandy, I think we're very fortunate to have, you know, to have him uh, be at our ATS and on our taxi squad the last, uh, the last road trip. But, um, you yeah, know, we're, we're glad to have him. And, uh, you yeah, know, I think he should be able to handle everything quite uh, adequately. And then secondly, wanted to see if you can give us an update on the team vaccination rates. I know if you got to get to 85%, uh, MLB said they could start relaxing protocols. Are you confident you guys are going to be able to get to the 85% mark if you haven't already? We're working towards it. Um, it's not quite clear yet, but we are definitely striving for that. Um, and we should know something in the next couple of weeks, two to three weeks. All right, let's go to Christina. Yeah, hi, Kim. Uh, just a follow up with Sandy. Will, I guess, the time that Jorge's out, will he kind of get the bulk of the reps at catcher? I think you should talk to Donnie about that. And then um, for three, we talked before, I guess, about the injuries alluded to. Uh, are there any updates maybe to timeframes for uh, Sixto and Eliezer in particular? No, I think, you know, we're still, in, you know, in Sixto, we're definitely um, still a bit a ways out. Um, on Iliaizer, we're hoping that he'll throw a bullpen next week. Danny Alvarez. Thank you, Jason. Hi, Kim. Good afternoon. Um, Kim, what's your evaluation so far uh, of the additions that uh, you guys had in, in the offseason, like Anthony Bass and Adam Duvall, Floro, Steinberg, and so on? Right. You know, I think, um, you know, as a team, I'm not sure that we've fired on all cylinders. I think, you know, in the first week, obviously, we had some issues. But uh, in the second week, you know, we definitely got – we definitely, uh, you know, showed better. Um but not quite there, you know, not playing complete um, clean baseball. But I think, you know, you definitely saw glimpses last week. Um, in terms of individuals, I would say, you know, um, you know, we've seen ups and downs for all of them. Um, but I think that we are moving towards um, you know, everybody finding their way. Steve Wine. Hi, Kim. Uh, what is your take uh, specifically on what you've seen from the offense so far and, and how confident are you at this point that you have the pieces you need there? So what I see from the offense, I think, you know, we've talked about this during the, the offseason. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that this is necessarily a, you know, a huge homer hitting team. I think that we can beat you a number of different ways, um, you know, in terms of you know, the offense. I think that, you um, you know, we knew that the, there were going to be a lot of close games that we were going to be battling um, each and every day. And I think that's what we've seen so far. 
Um, but, you know, in terms of, of the offense, you know, there are times where, you know, you'll see them, you know, firing on all the cylinders and, you know, we'll score 12 runs, we'll score seven runs, um, you know, and there are other times where we're, where we'll struggle a little bit. But, you know, I think that's what you're seeing across the board uh, in terms of all the other big league clubs. Barry Jackson. Hi, Kim. I uh, just wanted to uh, check in with you on three former Marlins first-round draft picks. With Blade, do you anticipate he would open in AAA? Do you look at him as a player who could move quickly because he's a polished college hitter? And was going to ask you where Max Meyer will open in your minor league system. And finally, is Braxton Garrett in the mix at this point for a rotation spot with the big club? So Blade, Meyer, Garrett. Thanks, Kim. Sure. I don't think that those decisions have been made yet on where these guys are going to go. I think that'll come in these last two weeks. Um, and, you know, Garrett, I think, you know, from our, our discussions with him in the spring, particularly, um, you know, when he got reassigned, we told him to just be ready, you know, to get yourself as prepared as you could um, and be ready if we, if we ever need that call. You know, right now, because, you know, I think that you'll see, and if you talk to other clubs, you know, I think, one of the things that, that we do acknowledge across the board is that, you know, last year in the minor leagues, not having that season has, you know, has, has really hurt us, um, has hurt all of us. Um, and so we're really trying to make sure that our guys can get as many reps and innings as possible. Um, so that's, that's our approach throughout this season. Andy there. Yep. Sorry about that. Can you hear me? Okay. We'll go to. I think she can hear me. Um, Kim, I, I, I know you said that yeah. you guys are working yep, your way. I know you said you're working your way closer to getting to the 85%. And obviously every player that gets vaccinated gets you closer to the 85. Do you feel it's very important to get to that 85 for team chemistry and how confident do you believe you will get there? Uh, I do, I do think it's important for team chemistry. You know, I think, you know, to the extent that, you know, we can socialize in, in a bit different way than what we have been doing, I think is important. Um, you know, so I, I, I hope that we get there. Um, you know, we're definitely working towards it. I am fairly confident that in the end, we will get there. Joe, for Sarah. Thanks, Jason. Hey, hey, Kim, good morning or early afternoon. Uh, back to Blade real fast. What are you guys be looking for from him in terms of making your evaluations of how fast he moves? What, what are you looking for from him in terms of like at the alternate site and then when he gets to wherever he starts the season off? And then just a quick update also on Ethan Diaz and, and how he's coming along. I'm sorry, Joe, who was the first player that you met? Blade, JJ. Oh, JJ Blade. Yeah, no, I yeah. think I think, um, you know, JJ is doing fine at the ATS, you know, the reports have been decent. Um, but again, you know, I think, you know, these guys need to get their reps and, and that's exactly what they're doing. In terms of Isan, um, you know, he's been up there getting his at bats and, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to keep himself ready and ready for that call when and if we need him. Is he playing multiple positions, just second, some third, or how is he being used? He's playing, he's playing a lot of second uh, right now with an occasional day at third. All right, Ethan. 
Thanks, Jason. Kim, I want to get your early impressions on Jazz, what you've seen from him that makes you think this success that he's having, he's got the highest OPS in among second basemen in baseball right now. What makes you think that this success could be sustainable? And then just how much the future of the game excites you and how you think he fits into this young core of, of the MLP that they're building right now going forward of, you know, all these young faces. Sure. Um, you know, listen, I think, you know, and we've talked about it this, um, this spring, you know, we think jazz is a dynamic player, um, you know, and he has, you know, different weapons in his toolbox that he can bring out at any time. You know, and I, I think to see him, um, you know, play at the big league level in these regular season games now um, for a couple of weeks has been exciting. So, you know, I, I do think that he's uh, he's a very good player, and you know, just can't wait to see more of him. And 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 if he, you know, can manage to keep this level of consistency, but very excited about it. Let's go back to Jordan. Hey, Ken, I got a couple quick more, couple more quick ones. Uh, first, uh, Trevor Rogers. I know he was a guy that you guys were really excited about during spring training. Just what have been your early thoughts on what you've seen from him this season? Obviously, he's going today, but just through his first few starts and the potential for him. Yeah, Trevor Rogers, uh, you know, had a very good spring, and I don't think he's necessarily disappointed uh, from what we've seen so far this this regular season, these last two weeks. Um, you know, we, we look to, to Trevor to – you know, do exactly what he's been doing. And that's, you know, for the most part, he's been throwing strikes and getting the ball where he wants it and, you know, really keeping hitters off balance. And then with the minor league season starting in about two weeks now, just after seeing a lot of the top guys during spring training, just what's the excitement level for seeing the organizational depth finally back out there after they weren't able to have a minor league season last year? Yeah, no, very excited. And, you know, and I've been getting reports from the alternate training site as well as, um, you know, Jupiter minor league camp and yeah, everybody's really excited. Um, you know, we're seeing some good baseball and, and a lot of great energy out there. So I think you can tell throughout, you know, throughout our other um, camps that, that everyone's just raring to go. Al Butler. Uh, good afternoon, Kim. Hi. Al. Hi. Um, I was curious, especially in light of what Jazz is doing right now. Um, I know you can't speak to before you came, but um, we all know the All-Stars that left the team in the four or five years period. Um, can you just talk about what your impressions are of those returns from trades linked to that, such as Jazz and some of these pitchers that you guys have? What were your impre first impressions when you looked over the roster and, and the system and saw some of those young talents, especially in light of what Jazz is doing right now? Absolutely. So, you know, I'm doing my research for uh, my interviews, uh, you know, and, and looking at the trades that were done. You know, I just saw a very common uh, thread, which is really trying to get very athletic, um, you know, get great athletes into the system, get guys who throw strikes into the system and, you know, have good fastball velocity. So, you know, that, that has definitely come to fruition. You know, and Jazz is, you know, case in point. Um, you know, and I know that, you know, in terms of jazz, you know, you know, we had to give up good players, but we got a lot of great players in return. And I think, you know, to build the, this organization from the ground up, um, you know, I think they did a very nice job in terms of, of having the philosophy, sticking to it and trying to just get as many, get as many young athletes into the system. So it's been really exciting. 
um, for the folks that have been here for the last several years. And I think even more exciting to see you know, guys like Jazz come up to the big leagues and have you know, this type of success early on. Thank you. Let's go back to Christina. Kim, with a few of those starting pitcher injuries early on, was there maybe a greater examination or urgency to look outside for starting pitchers that might be show doing showcases? You know, I think, you know, we have, we have faith in, in, you know, the guys that weren't part of those top five, um, you know, and, and, you know, talking about our farm system, you know, and, and guys that came up last year and, and got experience and, you know, and, and got those innings under their belt. So I think it was really important for us to stay within the organization um, at this point and really look to those guys to, to try and use their experiences from last year to come in and try and help us. And, you know, and obviously pitching this year to get more experience. So we think it was really important that that, that, that happened. Okay, we've got a few more hands raised. Scott? Hi, Kim. Uh, Jordan talked a little bit about the minor leagues, but do you plan at some point or another to travel to each of these sites and check out these players firsthand? I know you've got Beloit, you've got Pensacola, and you have Jacksonville. Sorry, Steve, were you saying, am I going to travel? Yeah, do you plan to take some trips up to uh, any of these places so you can see these prospects firsthand? I do. I'm sorry. Um, I, I do plan on that. I haven't quite um, figured out dates yet, um, but that is definitely uh, in my future. Thank you. Let's go back to Andy. Kim, can you confirm what Marte's injury is and when you expect him to return? It's a non-displaced fracture of his 12th rib. And in terms of return, you know, we're just going to wait five to seven days and, and then reevaluate. Uh, okay, we got uh, Ethan. Thanks, Jason. Sorry, sorry to keep you guys going, but just two more for you, Kim. Uh, first, you mentioned these reports, you know, that you've been getting from the alternate training site. How much can you really gather with and, and how much can you see of these guys out there? And what do what kind of stuff are you guys getting from seeing these guys at the alternate training site? So, you know, we get our daily reports um, and, you know, we, we get, um, you know, coaches notes on these players. And so that is, you know, our main, our main method of gathering info. But, um, you know, we've also got guys who are seeing them, you know, Gary Denbo is out there, Jeff DeGroote is out there. So we get reports on these guys. Um, and I'm sorry, what was the second part of your question? Oh, and then the second thing I wanted to ask you about was, um, Jordan, was Jordan Holloway had made one quick appearance at the big league level and looked really impressive. Do you guys kind of see him moving into that back end bullpen role? And when could we possibly see him next back at the big league level? Uh, um, you know, Jordan is you know, an interesting guy. Um, you know, had, had a very nice outing, uh, his last time out, he will be on our taxi squad for this road trip. Um, you know, in terms of what we see for him, you know, this year he's slated to be a, uh, a starter. You know, we really want him to, to get as many innings as he can, you know, really try and develop his pitches um, and, you know, work on a few specific things. But um, that's what we've got slated for him. You know, it doesn't mean that he won't make an appearance in the big leagues again. Uh, we could see him shortly, but that's what we've got planned for him in general. Craig Minervini. 
Thanks. Uh, it's a little noisy, so I'll try to ask this. Kim, could you give us a little more in six throw? You said he was a ways away. Um, just I know he threw like 45 pitches maybe two weeks ago. Could you give a little more detail of, of where he is now? Thank you. Yeah, Craig, I'll have to get you know, more specifics on that. Yeah, just more specifics on Sixto Sanchez. Yeah, yeah I, just don't, I just don't have it off the top of my head. Oh, yeah, Craig, oh, okay. Craig we'll, we'll have that tomorrow, Craig, before the game's okay. part. We'll have a full report on that. Thank you. Daniel, and then we'll wrap with Barry. Thank you, Dale. Kim, uh, one more from, from me. Uh, in your great car career that you have in, in baseball, you've seen the evolution of many things, including analytics. So what's your thought on them as a tool to evaluate players and uh, how much do you, do you like them? You use them, and how much you use the instinct as well, and, and of course uh, all the, the the knowledge that you have from from your years in the game. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so in terms of what I've seen from analytics, um, you know, being used at at this level now, it's it's actually very interesting in terms of some of the things that we can now measure. Um, and I think you know from what I've seen from our staff, um, they use it on a fairly daily basis. Um, you know, not just in terms of performance and process, um, I think, but in terms of measuring actual body movements um, of the athletes. So I think that's, you know, some of the more fascinating work that we're doing with the analytics. Um, but really, you know, in terms of the last 10 years and the addition, um, you know, it's just incredible to see how it, had it, how it has evolved um, and how, um, how staffs are now using them. Okay, go ahead, Barry. Bring us home. Hi, Kim. Just to wrap up with one quick thing. Barring a setback, have you gotten reports that Edward Cabrera is on pace to hopefully pitch in minor league games at some point this summer? He obviously could be a, a big piece going forward. Yes, that is, that is our hope, that he will be here this summer, back from injury. Thank you. Okay, Kim. Thank you for the time. All right, thank you.